Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Good morning. Whoa. Hey, if you have a Bible, uh, James chapter 5 this morning, while you're turning there, um, we have your tax statements available, your, um, your offering statements for 2022. So Mike will meet you out at the bistro table out in the foyer area. Um, I want to encourage you to look them over. We switch softwares halfway through the year. And so we, uh, we, uh, we had a little bit of a difficulty getting the data out. It's all in there. But we think we got it all. But make sure you look it over and uh, make sure it's correct. If you have any questions, you can call the office and talk to Mike, and he can look it over with you. But uh, make sure you grab them on the way out the door this morning. Uh, James chapter 5, we're going we're gonna to finish the book of James next uh, Sunday, what? Lord willing, because that's what we learned yesterday, last week, right? Lord willing, we're going to finish next week. But this morning, we find ourselves in chapter 5. And, and what that means is as we complete the book of James, then we will have Share Sunday, February 12th. If you're new with us, Share Sunday is your opportunity to take three to five minutes and share what God has done in your life through the book of James. You know, it's kind of an accountability, if you think about it, of what you're learning in process. Like, we should have some way of thinking about, are we just taking in information? Is it making any difference in our lives? The word of God is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. What I know is when it goes forward, it goes forward in power. It goes forward with intention to transform. And so what we want to do is give you an opportunity to encourage the body of Christ that as we sit before the word of God, we allow the word of God to wash us, change and transform us, that we want to share that with other people to encourage them like, hey, this book is alive. It speaks into your life. And it changes and transforms. So you can sign up on the app for Share Sunday, which will be February 12th, I believe. And you can sign up for whatever service you want to share. Three to five minutes. You can also just take a video of yourself if you, would, if you don't want to stand here. We'd like to mix them in if people, some people, sometimes we just get all videos. That's okay. Take a video of yourself with your phone this way so that it fits the whole screen and you don't just have this one like that. Because that's what it'll look like on the screen. Just look, you know, orientate your phone according to the, the way we want to see it is this way. And then you just take a little video of yourself, and you can connect with Preston, and he'll tell you where to send it, and we'll go from there. But if you sign up, we'll contact you and connect with you and discuss the details. Stand with me. James chapter 5 this morning. Beginning in verse 1, we read, Come now, you rich, weep and hollow for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosions will be evidence against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have uh, condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask you to just move in and amongst us this morning. Help our hearts to be open to what it is that you desire to speak 
to us about. Lord, if there's any deceptions in our hearts that we've fallen for, will you reveal them to us, God? Uh, You know all things, and we want to be open this morning to what you want to do in our hearts, in in our lives. So we surrender ourselves to you now. We ask you to come and speak to us by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, you can be seated. So one of the greatest temptations in life is to make wealth your pursuit. To make wealth your pursuit. It makes sense considering money is what makes the world go around. Uh, But how much is enough? When you think about it, Rockefeller was asked that question. How much is enough? And you know what he, re- you guys know his reply. It was just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. That's what happens when you begin to worship at the altar of mammon. Enough will just be a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And you'll be on this endless pursuit of getting just a little bit more. And you will waste your life pursuing something that is temporary. You know, many people have damaged their lives seeking after wealth. They have ruined their marriages, the relationship with their children. You know, important relationships in their life all gone away. Why? Because they were on a pursuit of a false god called mammon. It's a temptation for all of us. That's why the Apostle Paul told his protege, Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Verses 6 through 10, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, listen to that phrasing, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. Isn't it great that James just kind of comes out with a very light subject this morning? Paul is warning Timothy about the dangers of wealth. James is warning his readers here this morning about the dangers in wealth. What is the greatest danger? It's not to have wealth, but it is to desire wealth. That's what Paul is telling Timothy. Manage your desires, Timothy. Be content where you are because desire is what produces sin in our lives. We learned this in the very first chapter of James, chapters four, uh, chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. He said, we we are tempted when we buy our desires and enticed, and when we give in to those desires, it produces this cascade of sin that just unravels in our hearts. We have to manage our desires. And, Tim- and Paul is telling Timothy the same thing. Be careful about what you desire. Be careful about what you're pursuing in your life. If you're pursuing wealth, uh, it's very uh, certain that it will become your God. So be content where you are and be careful. Uh, That's why James also told his readers here in chapter 1, verse 11, the rich will fade away in in the midst of their pursuit. It will lead you down a dead end road. 
It cannot produce what you think it can produce in your life. And yet, many, many people will fall into the deceit of riches. Jesus made it clear that you can't serve two masters. Luke chapter 16, verse 13. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That's an emphatic statement. You can't do it even though you'll try. You can't do it. The temptation to pursue wealth becomes a trap. It's a snare. It will suck you up and it will spit you out. You will never be content if that is your pursuit. And what ends up happening is God becomes less and less important to you. I've seen it happen, it can, and not just necessarily with wealth, it can happen with anything. God no longer becomes number one in your life. Hey, I think my Bible says that if God's not number one in my life, I'm not worthy of him, is what Jesus said, isn't it? He said, if you love your father more than you, or your father and mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. Now, is, is Jesus just egocentric, and he's just like, I need to be worshipped, or is he saying that's what's best for you? I think it's the latter. I think Jesus says, hey, you better keep me number one in your life because that will put you on the right path. If you don't, you're going to go down a road of destruction. It's going to lead you down the wrong places. Paul said it here even. He said there are some who got sucked up in the trap who have departed the faith for what? Temporal riches. They departed the faith for just a few things that they can get in this life. Hey, we should take the words of Solomon who said in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 4, do not toil or acquire, to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. What is important in your life? What are the things that you're seeking after? If, if they're temporary things, then, then you probably, mammon is probably your God because, again, this money operates it, or this world operates according to wealth. What you have, that's how you acquire. Don't kid yourself into thinking this morning that you can love money and love God. Jesus said it's impossible to do. Many people have tried it and it does not work out. Uh, we, we see here in this conversation that Jesus has with a guy who thinks he's doing pretty well. Luke chapter 18, you can turn there with me. Luke chapter 18 this is Jesus and his encounter with the rich young ruler. You know the story? Beginning in verse 18, it says, And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God. You know, it's interesting how this conversation unfolds. Because this, this rich young ruler immediately compliments Jesus in a way that is unheard of in that culture by calling him good teacher. Literally, it's translated good rabbi. If you seek the Talmud, which is really the, the set of uh, beliefs or principles that the Jewish people live by, you'll never ever see a reference to a good rabbi, to a good teacher. Why? Because in their, in their culture, to be good means to be perfect. To be perfect. What this man is saying to Jesus is, perfect God is what he's saying. And isn't it interesting how Jesus responds to him? Why do you call me good? The only person that's good is God. 
Jesus didn't say he was good. He wasn't good there, did he? He's making him clarify, why are you saying that? Do you understand what you're saying? You're calling me perfect and God at the same time. And Jesus confirms, you are correct. No, he doesn't deny that. He is perfect because he's God. But he goes on to say here in verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, okay, so here's the question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? It's the wrong question. But Jesus doesn't correct him in that moment. He goes on to say, well, you know the commands. You, you know that what they are. Um, where is that in my notes here? Right here. Okay, so you know the commandments. Verse 20, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And the rich young ruler said to him, all these I have kept from my youth. I have to imagine in this moment, Jesus is like, this poor sap does not know how wretched he is in light of these commandments. But rather than correct his theology, here in this moment, what I'm going to use is this bridge where this man thinks he's good enough to get to heaven, and I'm going to shine the light in an area that is the most glaring for him. It's the, mo it's the thing that he struggles with the most. It's his wealth. So Jesus said, seeing, uh, so Jesus said to him, well, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God, for it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. In this moment, Jesus shined the light on the, the most glaring issue that this man had, his he didn't have a grip on his wealth. His wealth had a grip on him. Uh, money was, was his guide. And what happened? He rejected Jesus. He wasn't willing to follow Jesus. He loved money more than he loved God. And that will happen to anybody who goes down that path. Jesus said so. This man wasn't willing. Wealth is so deceiving that it can cause you to reject Jesus. Jesus turns to his disciples in this moment, and he says, oh, man, it's so difficult. Literally, what he's saying is it's almost impossible for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Why? The kind of rich person that Jesus is talking about is somebody who is possessed by their possessions, somebody who has allowed wealth to become uh, a, a, the wrong place in their heart. And it's impossible for them to see their need because wealth can buy you almost anything in this world. If you have enough money, you can, you can get yourself so consumed and so wrapped up and so, you know, uh, just distracted in this life that you will never understand your need. And that's the idea here. When people misappropriate wealth in their lives and they don't use it as a the tool that it is meant to be used for to build the kingdom of God, but they allow it to become a vice that leads them to destruction, it's, it, that, that is the wrong heart to have relating to these things. And it will happen to you if you're not careful. That's why James is warning his readers here to beware of these things. 
This message is called a word to the wealthy. A word to the wealthy. I think in these first six verses, uh, James is speaking to people who, are, who are, have misappropriated wealth in their hearts. And they have allowed it to become something that it ought not ever to be a God to them. Now, some of you, by the title of the message, are like, oh, well, I guess I can check out because I'm not wealthy. I, I, this doesn't apply to me. You're thinking, like, this has no relevance in my life. Contraire, mon frere. That's what I say to you this morning. You might be thinking, hey, man, I'm broke as a joke. Look at my bank account. You know, last week I was kicking a count down the road, and somebody asked me what I was doing, and I said, I'm moving. That's the extent of the wealth that I have. So if that's you this morning, you're deceived. You're wealthier than you think. Let me give you a little, little statistics on this. Isn't it, it's interesting when we compare, because we like to compare with each other. Aren't we always comparing literally on the, in the level up? Do you know there's levels down from where you are? We never look down and go, well, well we do, but, but not in this context. We're in, when we want to gain more, we're always looking up. Oh, well, I'm not as wealthy as that person there. But look at, look at these statistics. In 2022, this report came out from Credit Suisse, and, and it said this, that if you hold more than a million dollars in total household assets, that all of your, your car, your house, your bank account, your investments, all of that combined, total household assets, if you have over a million dollars in total household assets, you are in the top 1.2% of the wealthiest people in the world. A million dollars or more in total assets. If you are between $100,000 and a million dollars in total assets, you are in the top 11.8% of wealthiest people in the world. If you make between, if your household assets are between $10,000 and $100,000, you're within 33.8% of the wealthiest people in the world. You are in the top one-third of the wealthiest people in the world if you have $10,000 of assets. You know what we do with that kind of a statistic? Yeah, but I'm in the lower one-third. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when you start to think about what is wealth, what is considered wealth, 53 point, what is it, 8% of the world's population holds less than $10,000 in total household assets. Half of the world has less than $10,000, they're, they're worth less than $10,000. And you don't think you're wealthy? I beg to differ. I beg to differ that in our country we are incredibly blessed. You know, and, and we might have not, not, we might not have as much as the next guy above us, but man, do we have a lot. You go to other countries and you consider the poverty in the 1040 window where the majority of the world's population lives. These people have nothing. And you know, there's a desperation from, for God when you have nothing. And there's a lack of desperation for God when you have a lot. And that's the danger with where we are in our country, folks. You might not think you're super wealthy, but listen, it's this, this particular warning is a warning for all of us in this room this morning. There's five things I want to show you from our text relating to uh, those who have made wealth their life's pursuit and thus mishandled it by hoarding their assets. The first thing that we find here is the warning proclaimed by James in chapter 1 here, or verse 1, chapter 5, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. James is asking those to, 
He's turning his heart towards those who has misappropriated wealth in their hearts, and he's saying, come now. This is literally to say, listen up, pay attention. What I have to say is very important. Come now, you who are rich. He's talking about not people that have a lot of wealth, but people who have misappropriated their wealth. Again, it's not having money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not having assets. It's not wrong to be wealthy. Abraham, David, Solomon, you know, I mean, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, you know, uh, Zacchaeus, all these guys were super rich people. That's not the problem. The problem is, is when wealth becomes your God. That's the issue. And that's who James is addressing here. He's saying, weep and howl. Weep and howl. Like, like literally the idea is to mourn loudly, violently, and uncontrollably. This is an Old Testament kind of imagery relating to mourning over sin. You know how they, how they would mourn over sin in the Old Testament is they would dress in sackcloth, put ashes on their bodies, and they would weep and wail as a result of their sin. It represents a deep sense of guilt and shame for sin. And, and we understand that. When we, when we sin, there, there is a mourning in our hearts. Praise God for the grace of God, amen? Praise God that he forgives us for our, our sins and all of those kind of things, but there ought to be a recognition of sin, and it, and it should produce a mourning in our heart should produce an, a recognition of, man, I failed before the Lord. I'm thankful for the grace of God. But Lord, help me not to do it again. Help me not to fall back into that trap. Now, James is talking about this in, the, in a different context. He's not talking about weeping and howling in the sense of repentance. He's talking about weep and howling because of what's coming. He's talking about the judgment that is coming. He said, weep and howl for miseries that are coming Upon you. He's saying, man, there's judgment coming upon you because you love your wealth more than you love the Lord. You know, there are people in this world today that would say, hey, I would rather die miserable and wealthy than poor and happy. Isn't that crazy to think? Isn't it crazy to think that I would rather be miserable in luxury than I would be poor, have nothing, but man, be content and happy? To be joyful. I'll tell you what, the riches are deceiving. That's why the Lord said in Luke chapter 6, verse 24, he, you know, when Jesus says, whoa, you should probably listen up, it's, it's, a, it's a serious rebuke. He's like, hey, woe to you. When Jesus says, woe to you, you should go, whoa. Whoa, I better listen up to what he has to say. Woe to you who are rich. For you have received your consolation. He's saying, this is the best it gets for you. You who are rich, who have allowed the riches to consume your heart, who, who have, um, you know, you're on that pursuit of wealth and all these kinds of things, woe to you, because this is the best it gets for you. This is the maximum amount of comfort that you will ever have for all of eternity is what Jesus is saying. This is your consolation. Congratulations. Hey, good job. But what about eternity? That's what he's saying here. Those who worship mammon, those who give their hearts over to wealth, this is the best that it gets for them. And James says, wake up. Wake up before it's too late. Great misery is incoming. The ultimate manifestation of the misery, I think, that James is talking about, it certainly can be on this side of heaven in this world. 
I mean, Paul talked about it. He talked about what we just read here in 1 Timothy 6.10. He said, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. He was saying that they departed from the Lord, they went out into the world, and guess what? They found a bunch of pain. Do you know some of the wealthiest people in the world are, have some of the greatest suffering in their lives? Self-induced. Do you know that? You, you look at like people who have won the lottery and, they, and what ends up happening is they, it ruins their lives. The wealth, they can't handle what they're, what's available to them. And they can't handle these things. And it ends up ruining their life. James is saying, hey, listen up. There's certainly miseries that are associated with wealth on this side of heaven. But the ultimate manifestation of the miseries that he's speaking about is eternal damnation. Where you have made money your God and you have worshipped that. Therefore, you can have no other God before you. If you have another God before you, then, you're, then you've rejected Christ. When you reject Christ, guess what? You are eternally separated from God. And when you breathe your last breath, you will be cast out of his presence forever and ever. Jesus talks about this place, hell, being a place of utter darkness. Like, have you ever been in a place where it's the darkest place you've ever been and it's so scary? <laughs> it's weird. I'm a man. You don't use that word, scary. Hey, I was in India one time and they shut off the lights at nighttime and I was scared. I couldn't see that my hand in front of my face, and I'm like, whoa, it is so dark here. That's what he, Jesus is saying. That's to be separated from God is to be in utter darkness. Why? Because God is light, and in him there is no darkness, but to be separated from God for all of eternity in solitude, in suffering, in anguish. He talks about there being weeping and gnashing of teeth. That, that doesn't sound pleasant to me. Total anguish is what's being spoken of here. And James's warning, those who put riches in the wrong place of their life, that that is the destination of those who make money their God. Man, beware. Beware of that. We, you know, it reminds me of the parable that Jesus spoke about in uh, Luke chapter 16. You can look it up later. I'm not going to read it for you because we don't have time. But Luke chapter 16 Verses 19 through 31, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. I don't think this is a parable. That's what it's called. I think this is a real live account of Jesus telling us what hell is like, what Hades is like. Terminology, Hades is not hell. The lake of fire is hell. Uh, when, we, when we consider the word Hades in the Old Testament, it's talking about or, Hades or Sheol are the same word, the same place. It's talking about the place of the dead. When you, when you consider Hades, now this is pre-Jesus pre coming. Pre-Jesus coming, everybody goes to Hades. They go to the place of death, right? But Hades is divided into two places. One is known as Abraham's bosom, also known as paradise by Jesus. Same place. That's where the people who were looking to Christ to come Prior to his crucifixion and resurrection, that's where they went. Abraham's bosom. The man in the story that Jesus talks about, the, the poor man, Lazarus, he was looking forward to the coming Messiah. And therefore, he was in Abraham's bosom. He was saved by his faith in the coming Messiah, just like you are. Saved by 
what Jesus has done. He was only looking forward to it. There's another place in Hades. It's, it's, it's a holding place. It's not hell. It's a place of torment. And if you, re, if you reject Christ, you know, you go to that place of torment. And you wait until the resurrection of the dead when there's one judgment at the end of the day. And then God casts everybody into the lake of fire, which is hell, which we talked about in Revelation chapter 21, or I think it's 21. But at the end of the day, that's when hell will, will actually materialize. And so the story that Jesus is talking about, this account, I believe, is speaking about a rich man who had all these things in the world, and he passed by this poor man every day. And the guy just longed to have the scraps from his table for his dog to come lip, lick the soles, uh, the sores on his, the wounds on his body and such. And he was in misery here on earth, but yet he went to paradise. But the rich man wasn't so lucky because he trusted in himself, and he went to destruction. And he... He was longing for some comfort in that place, and he calls out to Abraham, and he said, Abraham, will you send Lazarus over to this side to give me a little water because it's so, I, I'm so parched, I, I'm so, I need something to drink, and, uh, and Abraham says, oh, I can't do that. There's a chasm between us nobody can bridge. You're stuck where you are. This is me paraphrasing. That's not in the Bible, but... Uh, and, he, and, and he, he, here's the realization of that moment. It's, you know, it's appointed man to die and then the judgment, period. You don't get to redo life. There is no reincarnation. There is no another chance outside of this life. You have one life. It will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. It's the truth. That's what Jesus is portraying in this story. He said, man, this guy gave his life over to riches. But look where it put him, in a place of total misery. And he, and he said, can you just send somebody up to my brothers? No, they have the prophets. Don't worry about it. James is trying to keep you from going to that place if, that's, if you have another God in your life. You can't love God and love money. I love what James Trapp said about this passage, he said, weep here, better weep here where there are wiping handkerchiefs in the hand of Christ than to have your eyes wiped out in hell. Better howl with men than yell with devils. Let me tell you something, there is no amount of temporary pleasure that can replace uh, all of eternity, folks. That's why Jesus said, he, he told us, man, what is it, what is it, what does it gain a man? What, what, is, what does a man gain to gain the whole world? I'm, I'm paraphrasing this, obviously, because I can't even quote it to you. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his soul? What does it profit him? It's non-profitable, period. Jesus wants you to know that this morning. There is nothing that you ought to trade your eternity for. Nothing on this earth. There's nothing worth it. James gives us the warning, then he goes on to give the rotten reality. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. You know, according to psychologists that, who have studied the mind of people who are hoarders, they say that the, they have determined that the number one contributor to people who hoard is that they are greedy, that they're greedy. 
I, don't need, I didn't need a study for you to tell me that. I already know that's the issue. People are greedy and that's why they hold on to things. But the psychologists have determined that to be, so we know that's totally true now. And, but, but listen, hoarding is a serious issue in our culture. Hoarding is a serious issue uh, and, and people that have excessive tendencies where they hold on to things. Uh, we can do that for a lot of different reasons because we're afraid, because we're greedy, because we don't trust. You know, there's a gazillion reasons why we do do this kind of stuff, but uh, listen, all of us can slip into that mentality of needing to hold on to stuff that we have. That's why there's an estimated two billion square feet under roof. I'm not talking vertically, I'm just talking about on the horizontal, two billion square feet of storage units in our country today. Two billion, you know what that is? 71 square miles. 71 square miles, that's a little bit bigger than the District of Columbia, just to put it into perspective, of just what? Storing our excess. Because we have so much stuff that we need storage units. Hey, guess what? That's not counting the stuff that you have at your house. Listen, I got an entire room at my house with boxes that I'm never going to unpack. I have stuff in boxes that I don't even know what are in there, and I don't care. But guess what I'm going to do? When I move, I'm going to take those boxes from that room, and I'm going to move them to this other room, wherever else I'm living. I might even get a storage unit. You never know, because you never know when you need this stuff that you don't know you have. Right? You don't have, you have an inventory list? I don't think you do. Hey, let me ask you this question. When you go into your, into your refrigerator and you see all the food in there, how much stuff do you throw away? How much stuff do you throw away on a, on, on a weekly basis? You're like, yeah, I mean, that was good, but mm, I'm feeling something else today. And you just go on and you we just throw it away because we have so much. Anybody stand in their closet this morning and look at all their clothes? I go into my closet and I have this section of shirts. And I, I, it doesn't matter what mood I'm in or anything, I pick the same 20% of those shirts every week. I'm like, um, that one. Well, you wore that one last week. I know, I like it. That's why I have it. But there's 80% of clothes in my closet that I'm never going to wear. Hey, listen, if you're thinking but I'll fit into that high school you know, thing that I had in high school and I want that shirt because I loved it in high school. People are like, whoa, that's an awesome shirt. Ain't gonna happen. I mean, if it hasn't happened yet, come on, be real. <laughs> you, got a, you got a closet full of clothes that is just wishful thinking. Hey, I'll pray for you, but man, you know, here's what I would say. Let it go. Let it go, man. Hey, the point of the things that we have in our lives, like, is that we might be a blessing to other people. You know, you, 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 you think about the context here is he's speaking about perishables, food, because back in that culture, people, you know, rich people would store up food. It was important. You know, and they would have excess clothes. And the problem is, is all of these things are somewhat perishable in this culture. Like our clothes, I don't know about you, last time... I pulled a sweater out of my closet and that was eaten by moss as never. But, but that, that's what he's talking about here. In this culture, it would have happened. They didn't have Orkin coming over and spraying your stuff and, you know, putting mothballs and stuff in your whatever. They didn't have that. But, 
But what he's talking about is they were hoarding up things that were perishable, and then they were just letting them be, they were just being wasteful with it. You know, and, 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 and God doesn't want us to be a poor stewards in that way. If we have excess, maybe it's because we're supposed to help other people. Maybe we're supposed to be a blessing to somebody else. I went to, you know, I just got back from Israel, and I went and, and I bought a gigantic piece of halva. Anybody know what halva is? It's, uh, I got corrected because I'm not Hebrew and I didn't say it right, but that's okay because I'm not Jewish. But halva is sesame seeds crushed and just combined with a bunch of sugar and flavoring and all that kind of stuff. How can you go wrong, you know? Uh, and so I, I, I bought some back, but it has a one-year shelf life. I brought it back and I was like, and it was, dude, for one little box, it was 100 bucks. It's not cheap. And I was thinking like, man, I should just set that up on my mantle and look at it. That's a hundred bucks worth of candy right there. Tell my kids to come in. Come in here. Look at this. Look how amazing. It's a hundred dollars worth of candy right there. But you know, I didn't do that. I had a year to use it. Guess what? We ate it like three days after we got back. We invited some people over to our house that love Halva. And that's why I bought it. I bought it because I wanted to use uh, this, this little thing, this halb as a tool to invite some people over my house that we could break bread together, that we could become more intimate with each other and so that we can have deeper fellowship. And it worked. And it was amazing. Best halb I've ever had because it was with the company that the Lord had put in our hearts. My point is this. Everything you have is a tool. Everything you have. Don't waste it. Don't hold on to it and waste it. Use it for the glory of God. Don't become like the rich fool who Jesus speaks about in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21. He rebuking this idea of holding on to our resources. He said, the land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. That's the American dream, folks. That is what the American dream is all about. Hey, man, get, get enough to relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Listen to what God said about that idea. He called him a fool. Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's a serious question. Whose will they be? Hey, you're holding on to this stuff. That's not forever. I mean, grain lasts for periods of time and such, but it will rot if you don't store it correct. Who's, it's gonna, who's it going to be? Why are you holding these things up? I don't know. The last time God called me a fool, I listened up. And I was like, okay, God's saying something to me here. He's telling me I'm not being a good steward of what he's given me. Be a good steward, man. Go out and it's not wrong to have surplus. It is wrong to allow the surplus to have hold of you. That's the problem. You know, when we store up stuff and then we can't give it away because it's holding, oh, I gotta have this thing. Do you? Do you really have to have it? Or does it have you? That's the question we should be asking ourselves. There should be nothing in your life. I'm not saying that it should be, it's not going to be hard, 
but there should be nothing in your life that you're not willing to give up for the Lord. You should hold your assets like this because they're his. Lord, what do you want? These are yours, man. I'm a steward of what you've given me, but many of us hold our assets like this. This is mine, Lord. You don't have to teach a kid to say mine, do you? Hey, it's his. It's his. What does he want to do with it? Lord, what do you want to do with it? You've gifted me to be able to do all that I'm doing. What do you want to do with these resources? Help me not to have a hoarding heart where I'm storing up things and I'm being wasteful at the end of the day. Hey, James goes on to give us the corrosive conclusion here in verse 3. Your gold and your silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last day. Not only do we have to worry about the, the, the resources that God's given us in terms of the perishables, the food, the, the, the clothing, that kind of stuff, but we have to also manage our, our, our money correctly. People that, when he's talking about your gold and silver have corroded, it means to rust is what this is talking about. But gold and, gold and silver don't rust. He's not talking literally about the gold and silver. He's talking about the corrosion that happens in your heart as a result of storing up gold and silver. You ever sit in your room and count your money? Look at your bank account and it becomes some sort of a security for you. You're like, oh, man, Lord, look what I've done. <laughs> and he's like, no, look what I've done. And by the way, I want you to help that person over there. But Lord, this is my 401k, you know. I'm not saying sell your 401k. I'm just saying don't allow your 401k to have a grip on you. You know, he's talking about the corrosion, the corroded heart from money will end up becoming an evidence against you is what he says here. He talks about in the day of judgment that it will eat your flesh like fire. Listen, money can buy a lot of things, but it cannot buy you out of that. No one's going to stand before the Lord one day and pull their wallet out and say, how much is it, Lord? Dude, you know, the, the precious metals that we consider super precious in our world, gold, it's asphalt in heaven, folks. God's not impressed with our trinkets. He's not impressed with the jewels that we have and all these kinds of things. Do you know the walls in heaven are probably made out of pure diamonds? Construction materials, folks. You know, we're, we're walking around the world all iced out and all this stuff with, like, like we're something. And God's like, dude, that's like construction material in heaven. You know that, right? Because nothing. It's amazing. Solomon said, this is the deceitful of riches that people think that's, that because they're wealthy, well, I stroked a check to God for this, man. He's really going to be happy with me. Here's what Solomon says about that, Proverbs 11:4: Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from, wrath, from death. Zephaniah 1:18: neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of wrath of the Lord. You get the picture. Uh the love of gold and silver is going to be used in, as evidence against those in the judgment time. That's why Jesus, Jesus instructed us in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, do not lay up treasures for yourselves on earth where moth and rust can destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up your treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust uh, destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. 
For listen to this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says you have to manage your desires by managing where you're laying up your treasures. Be, be eternally minded. Be thinking about eternity. One day all this is going to pass away. And what I know, Paul already said it, is you can't take it with you. You can't, you can't take it with you, so you might as well use it to store up your treasures in heaven and be a blessing to other people. Be a tool in God's hand so that you can do that. The corrosive, the corrosive conclusion is not a pretty one. James goes on to proclaim further judgment on the wicked who are wealthy for their fraudulent acquisition. Look at verse 4. Behold, the wages of the laborers who, moved your, who mowed your fields, which you kept, by, kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You know, back in this culture, poor people had really not a lot of, lot of places to file complaints. If you were a poor person in, in, in the ancient days, you know, it's not like you could go to, uh, you know, the Better Business Bureau and say, hey, my employer owes me this amount of dollars and they didn't pay me. You're really just out of luck. I mean, you could, you, could, you could go before a judge and all of that kind of stuff, but you're poor. Chances of you even getting to that place is very rare. And so what happens is that these, these, these rich people were taking advantage of laborers, and they were ripping the laborers off. Oh, yeah, I'll pay you. I'll pay you X amount of dollars per day to work and such, and then you, you go ahead and work, and then I'll pay you at the end of the day, and then they didn't pay them for the work that they had promised. And you know, a laborer, this is speaking about a poor person. That's a laborer in this culture was somebody who was working just daily to get enough food to eat that day. So he's talking about, he's talking about rich people getting richer off the back of poor people and ripping poor people off, stealing from them. And they really had no voice. And so you could, you could become discouraged, you would think in that culture, and you would, you'd be thinking, like, I'm crying out, but it doesn't seem like it's changing anything. And James says, listen, you might not have an ear, you might not have an ear on earth, but you have an ear in heaven, and God is hearing your cries. And don't think for a moment that this is going to pass by. God is going to execute judgment. That's why James calls God here the Lord of hosts. God is the Lord of hosts. Th that title is not used often, but when it's used, it's speaking about the commander of armies. It's talking about a just judge. Uh, the, the, kind of the concept of where it's really used in, in, in general is the only place it really is found is Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. And it's in the context of God talking to Moses at the burning bush. And here's what he says to him. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their tax masters, I know, their, I, I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. So what, what's being, God is saying, I am going to execute judgment on the oppressors of this world, of my people. And sometimes we can lose patience with God. We can think like, Lord, how long are you going to allow this stuff to happen? Like how, how long are you going to allow the oppressors to put their thumb down on, on uh, you know, the, the poor in this world and such. And the Lord's like, don't worry. I'm on my timing, but I'm going to execute judgment. Don't worry, it's coming. Because I have an ear 
for the cry of the helpless people. And the Lord hears your cries, and he cares about the things that are going on in your life. And you might lose heart and think like, Lord, I don't understand why you haven't acted already. Don't worry. Don't worry. He hears you, and he's going to act according to his will. He knows exactly what needs to happen, but he cares about what you care about. And he cares far more about you than you realize. So you just keep pressing in. You keep crying out. He's hearing you. James is saying, these people might not see justice in their lifetime, but justice is coming. The Lord, the Lord is not letting this stuff slide. He, he goes on, James goes on to tell us what they're doing with this, with their wealth. They're, they're living luxuriously. Look at verse 5. For you have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened the hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned the murderer and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. The worship team is going to come up here as we close, but... Listen to what James is saying here. He's saying the ultimate motive of these people is to acquire wealth at all cost. Like, I don't care who I have to rob to get more, but I'm going to get more. Why? Because that's my focus. My entire life's focus is a pursuit of getting this thing, and I will do whatever I have to do to get there. And that's the danger for every person in this room. Because what we focus on it is really ultimately the dictator of how we live our lives and what's going to determine what, where we spend our time. And listen, I can tell you that if you focus too much on the wrong thing, that your morals just begin to disappear. The Lord becomes less and less important. The, 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 the conviction of the Holy Spirit just, you know, you harden your heart to it and it just becomes less and less and less. You can do that. What you focus on matters. You put God at the center of your life. You make him the pursuit of your life. You be content with what you've been given because if you're not, those desires are going to lead you astray. I mean, it's, it's written in here, and it's written in the beginning of James. It's written all through James. Manage your desires. What are you living for? And then, you know, is God the pursuit of your life? And if he is, then your, your, your entire life is going to show that. But if he's not, it will also show. James tells us here, those people who are acquiring wealth uh, were willing to fatten their hearts in slaughter. They were willing to condemn and murder righteous people. Isn't that what the religious leaders did to Jesus? I mean, Jesus shows up on the scene. He says, I'm the Messiah, I'm here to save you. And they said, hey, you're taking, you're, you're ruining our business by flipping over our tables in the temple, number one, and you're taking our clout. Let's kill him. And that's what they did. That's the heart of man. It's the heart of man, folks. The heart is deceitful and wicked. And you cannot trust your heart, but you can trust the Lord and you can trust the Holy Spirit. So you put him the center of your life and you let him navigate you. Listen, people have done some evil, evil things to gain wealth. Gain wealth. You know, people kill their spouse for an insurance policy. People rip people off left and right for a, just a little money. But, but all this doesn't go unnoticed. God is keeping track of these things. He knows what's up. And so the moral of the story of us here today is we have to manage our desires you know, money does make the world go around, but we have to be content with what we've been given. 
Here's what I know is God says, if you manage what I've given you well, I'll give you more. That's the way that, that's the principle of God and how he works. He, he wants you to manage the little things. Yeah, but God, if I just had a little bit more, man, I could do so much more. But what are you doing with what you have? Like, are you faithful with the little things? Because if you're not faithful with the little things, you will not be faithful with more. It's just the way it works. So the Lord is telling us, hey, what, what's your life pursuit? You know, is it the things of the world? It's the, that's the wrong heart. That's the wrong mentality. It's got to be Jesus. And it's not wrong to be on his path, and it's not wrong to pursue the things that he wants you to pursue. And, but don't forget about what you're doing in this world, folks. You're not here to build a better life for yourself here. You're here to build the kingdom of God for later. So our focus has to be on eternity. And if you keep eternity in mind as you live your life, God is going to put you in the right places. And he's going to, and if you just keep living your life like this, he's going to bless you because he's looking for loyal hearts to show himself strong. He wants a loyal heart that's willing to say, here, Lord, I'll hold my assets like this. I know dudes where millions of dollars have passed through their hands because they hold it out like this. They do not hold on to their stuff because they're kingdom builders. And they want to be used by God in such a way as is to, you know, lay up their treasures in heaven. Hey, don't get sidetracked. All this stuff is temporary. You're not taking a single thing with you. The only thing that you're taking with you is your faith in Jesus Christ or not. That's what it all boils down to, folks. No one's going to stand before God and say, here's my asset list, God. And he's going to say, that's great. And he's going to throw it off the side. Say, what did you do with my son? Make God the pursuit of your life. I want to end with these words from Jesus. I think it's so important because we do have needs. We do have general cares in our lives and stuff. And here's what Jesus has to say about that in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 33. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor, nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in all these things will be added to you. It's a promise. It's a promise. If you keep God the number one thing in your life, if you seek his kingdom, then he is going to provide for you. You don't have to worry about it. Be anxious for nothing. So keep God first. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask you, even right now, Lord, that you help us to, to just consider our desires. Lord, what are we living for? Help us, Lord, to examine our hearts this morning. God, if we are 
hoarding the things that you've given us. Will you deliver us from, from that prison, Lord, of feeling like we have to hold on to everything? And we're certainly not saying, Lord, that we just need to be frivolous and let go and not be stewards, but Lord, help, our, help the things that you've given us not to possess us, but help us to possess these things for your glory and for your honor. And so we ask you this morning, Lord, that you would move in this place, that you would draw our hearts to yourself and you would help us to move from where we are to where you want us to be. And we just lift these things to you now in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we're gonna close in a song. Will you stand with us? Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.